0: Good morning. Good to see everybody, all those who have been traveling over the past several weeks and are now back in town. Uh, I wanted to take uh, the opportunity before we get started in our sermon this morning to give you a little update about what we did last week uh, downtown. So as you may have heard announced that uh, we were going to be participating in the the Independence Day parade uh, down in Loveland and we did just that. In fact we had um, several of our members there with us. We had over 20 people uh, that were helping uh, with the effort down there. There's a group shot and you can see kind of what we were doing. Uh, There you've got Jeff and Dave that are handing out the flyers. We passed out more than 500 flyers uh, during the parade, not to mention about 30 pounds of candy, all before we even got to the bridge. We ran out of stuff before we even got into downtown where all the crowds were. now we know, <laughs> and and we weren't the only ones. Everybody in front of us ran out of stuff as well. The, there was a group, uh, two or three in front of us that was actually handing out popsicles, uh, and they ran out pretty quickly as well. Um, but uh, continue to pray for this effort. We, uh, you know, we, we did of course pass out a lot of information. There's Caleb, little future preacher there. Uh, he, uh, I was extremely proud of him. You know, he is not someone who just goes up to strangers because we taught him not to uh but in this case we told him go hand these out and he did a fantastic job doing that as did everybody else there pam i have to i have to point out pam pam probably passed out about 300 of the 500 flyers uh she was on the left side of the truck and uh when we, I was on that side as well as Nick and some other people. And we, when we went to hand a flyer to someone, they already had one because Pam was, had already gotten to them. So our jobs basically became, let's just resupply Pam with flyers so that she can continue handing them out. Um, She was, she was right there. And uh, we had, again, we had a fantastic time um, with all of it. And so um, again, I just wanted to kind of Show you all what what we did, and that uh, you know we're we're starting to make efforts to to reach out to the community and find ways that we can can do that. Um, the last point there. What's next? I wrote a bulletin article a few weeks ago about what can we do in the community to reach out. What are events, activities that we can be a part of. The Independence Day Parade is one of them. Are there others? Are there other things that we can be a part of? Be thinking about these things so that we can find better ways to reach out to our community uh, instead of just sitting here waiting for them to come to us. We need to find ways better to go out and get to them as well. With that said, we're going to begin a new sermon series this week. Uh, This sermon series is one that I think is going to be very beneficial, not just for those of us who are here, but also for those who are not a part of the church, because grace is one of those things that it's hard to grasp, really, when it comes down to it, what grace is. Uh, there are a lot of false teachings around grace as well. Some of those things we're going to cover uh, in this sermon series. Um, one of the things that I want to do with this sermon series is, of course, we see, this, we see amazing grace, and the first thing that comes to our head when we see that is the song, right? So pick up your songbooks and turn to song number 129. And each week before the sermon, we're going to sing a verse of this because every word in this song has meaning and heart behind it. Of course, when we sing to each other, as Colossians 3.16 says, we are teaching and admonishing one another when we sing and praise God. And one of the ways that we can do that is not just singing the notes on the page, but really focusing on the words that we're saying as well. Let's sing the first verse. Of amazing grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but found. Was blind, but now I see. How many times have we sang that song? Either in worship, at a funeral, driving in our cars. The song is catchy. A lot of the music that we sing in church is is, elicits emotion it elicits um, serotonin to be released in the brain it's these are things that help us remember things there are songs that we sing and i know several of my friends who remember the song that their little brother responded to the gospel with and every time that song is sung they cry because they remember that event around that song and so songs have the tendency to definitely evoke feelings and emotions in us but we should allow those lyrics to not just evoke feelings, but also evoke action and evoke reflection upon our condition, upon our lives, and how we can better be God's children. What does grace mean to you? If you're a note taker, or if you're not, if you've got your phone or a notebook or anything like that, I want you to open it up and I want you to write out the definition, what you think grace is to you. I want you to write it down somewhere that you can find it later, because at the end of the series, I'm going to ask you to do it again, and I want you to compare your responses at the beginning and at the end. And I hope that through this sermon series, that we're going to find that we better have a better understanding of what grace is in the in the way, in the Christian sense and how it plays a role in our lives. Now, I asked this question on Facebook yesterday, and. Um, at the time that I made uh, my, this slide, um, I had four responses to it, and here they are. Paula said, kindness, compassion, and mercy. Travis Anderson, who's a, a preacher friend who preaches at the, uh, at the church where Kip and Teresa go when they visit Illinois over there, Travis wrote, being gifted something I don't deserve or didn't deserve, Uh, Raisa Green, a childhood friend of mine, being given compassion and love beyond what we may feel is deserved. Two definitions there that have the word deserve in it. That's a key point of grace and something that we're going to look at. And lastly, a cousin of mine, a, a distant cousin that I've recently found who's also a gospel preacher, said, when God reaches for you, it is the effect of the reaching shown in your own life. Which I never really thought about it that way. I thought it was really beautiful. And I've never, I've never looked at or thought about grace that way. Have you ever thought of, of, of God reaching for you? Picture yourself as a child who just fell off your bike. We've all fallen off our bike at some point. Some of us just last week. Some of us early in our childhood. But picture yourself as that child who just fell off the bike and you look up to grab somebody's hand and there they are to reach for you, but you can't see their face because the sun's too bright, the glare's too great, you can't see who it is, and by the time you get to your feet and you brush yourself off and look around, there's nobody there. But you're back on your feet, and you're, you're ready to continue on your path. That's what I think of and what I picture when I think of God reaching for us to aid us through His grace. Grace is all of these things and so much more. Turn over to Romans chapter 3, if you're not already there, which we just heard uh, Matt Reed. Now it's very difficult to define God's grace in in human terms um, because it is so much. So we need to look at God's word to both understand what it is and the role that it plays in our lives. Look at Romans chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 23 here. Let's reread this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, we know that. We've, we've read that I don't know how many times since I've started preaching here. We are all sinners. We, are all, we all fall short. And we can never make that up. That's important. Verse 24, And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. This verse provides a great definition of grace. Paul calls it a gift. Now the Greek word here is charis. Okay, this word is translated as grace, but it carries the definition of goodwill, loving kindness, and or favor. The outline of biblical usage expands upon this definition by saying, the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of Christian values. That sounds like a pretty wonderful gift, doesn't it? As selfish humans, though, we may look at this gift as something that we receive and we just get to enjoy it. But the gift that's described is more like being gifted a pet goldfish on your birthday. You get the gift, but you can't just look at it and make fishy faces at it. You have to work to keep it alive and well. You have to feed it. You have to clean the bowl, etc., etc., etc. You have to keep the cat away and little hands away. And the same thing goes with grace. It isn't a one-time gift that you just open at baptism and it's there. You, and you have it forever and you're good to go. I've punched, punched my ticket to heaven and that's all i got to do. Staying in grace is an important part of the equation here. And we're going to look at that uh, in a future lesson as well. You can fall from grace. You've heard that term before. Now, the root of this word, charis, is chairo. You've got the cha in there. It's not Hebrew, it's Greek. But So, uh, chairo or chairo means to rejoice and be glad. It's a greeting that is often used to mean be well. Now, the fact that this is the root of the Greek word for grace tells me that this gift from God is something that we need to be rejoicing about, that we should Be exceedingly glad to have. Right? That's why we sing songs of praise. Notice that we never sing songs about, Oh, I'm such a bad person. I'm a sinner. Woe is me. All the songs that we sing are praising God for the grace that takes all of that away. Because we should be rejoicing and exceedingly glad to have this gift. Additionally, the Greek word uh, charisma, or if you read English, charisma. That's where we get the word charisma. Charisma means to, it's, it's the state of being or an attitude that exudes favor from other people, that makes people uh, drawn to you. Right? And so this, this Greek word, also deriving from the root charo, and related to charis, is, uh, refers to favor with, uh, with which one receives without any merit of his own. Right? So it's this word that is used in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, where Paul writes, For the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our, word, our lord the the word charisma in that is used for the free gift right and in that verse eternal life is the free gift of god turn over to hebrews chapter 5 verse 9 what does it mean to be a christian have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever sat down and, and, and just written out what it means to be a Christian? If you haven't, do that this week. In your personal Bible study, sit down, pull out your Bible, and look through the Scripture and find what it means to be a Christian. I'm going to give you a little hint here. All right, We follow Christ. right? We wear the name of Christ. When we call ourselves a Christian, we are wearing the name of Christ. But why? Why do we live a life that's completely focused on Christ? Look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9 here. In being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. We focus on Christ because he is the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So obey, being obedient, is a part of that, right? So there's your first bullet point in your study this week for what it means to be a Christian. Okay, because Christ is the source of eternal salvation through obedience if christ is the source of salvation can it be achieved any other way if only christ is the source can we get it from anywhere else can we go to walmart and buy salvation definitely not maybe kroger just kidding can we save ourselves can we just by being good people Save ourselves. No. Because if we could do that, we have no need for Christ. If it was possible for man to save themselves ever, there would have never been the need for Christ. The old law. The old law was a set of ordinances that man could never fully keep because they were incapable of doing it. That's why Christ was necessary to fulfill the law, To fulfill the prophets and to bring about salvation, to become that source of salvation. How often have you heard people outside the church, maybe even inside the church, those who are outside of Christianity, make the broad assumption that Christians are so passionate about our faith that we consider ourselves perfect? Like I tell people that, you know, what you're doing is wrong, you shouldn't be doing that. And I'm telling you that because I'm perfect. That's what people think about Christians sometimes. But that's not the case. And that should not be our mindset either. We should strive for perfection, but we should also recognize that perfection is never, ever within grasp. At least for me, my mindset about being a Christian is the complete opposite of being perfect. In fact, it is... I'm excited about being a Christian because I know that I'm imperfect and that I need God's grace. That's why I'm excited to be a Christian and excited to have access to Christ through the waters of baptism, to have access to His blood that atones for my sins. And when we look at all of these definitions, specifically the last one there, unmerited favor, this indicates that grace is when God blesses us in ways that that we have not earned, or that have not been merited. This is often referred to as blessings bestowed when wrath is owed. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Another definition of grace. Meaning not only has the favor or blessing not been merited, but they've been given when, when what was really deserved was God's wrath. And we're going to look at that next week uh, in our sermon as we look at the need for grace. Why we need grace. Another way grace is defined is using this acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. Meaning, of course, that riches, favor, blessings, all of these things have been given to us, but they were given at the cost of Jesus' life. Now, when we combine all of these definitions that we've talked about so far, when we combine them together, I feel that we get a broader, albeit wordy, definition. Definition. Grace is God's unmerited favor, riches, and blessings bestowed at Christ's expense when wrath was owed. Now let's look at some scripture to get a better grasp of this. Turn over to James chapter 1, verse 17. And while you're turning there, I'm going to build an illustration to help us better comprehend God's grace. God's grace is like a treasure chest. And inside is God's riches, favor, blessing, salvation, etc. Now, here in James chapter 1, verse 17, James writes, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Now, quickly turn over, if you will, to Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 9. So, so taking what James wrote, everything that we have, we have because God gave it to us. Right, that's a song we used to sing at Kumo. We need to understand why God would do this. Everything we have, we have because God gave it to us, but why? Why would God do this? Look at Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? God loves his creation. Even though they're evil, even though they're wicked and turn away from him, he loves them and he loves to shower his creation with blessings. Every gift or blessing that we have has come from the treasure chest of God's grace. Riches that are immeasurable, which Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. If anyone can give us a better understanding of grace and the role that it plays in our lives as followers of Christ, it's Paul every one of Paul's letters refers to grace. He mentions it more than 80 times in his 13 letters. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, and I'll cue up a famous line from Popeye here, By the grace of God, I am what I am. He, as we should, considered everything he had, everything he was, to be the result of God's grace. Nothing proves this more than his statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. He said, Now that we are sufficient in ourselves, or I'm sorry, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Turn over to Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 25. We need to fully understand that these gifts, that these blessings are given to us by God, not because of anything that we have done, but because of His grace. Right, look here at Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 25. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands, as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and And everything. It is from God that man receives life and breath. What has man done to merit life? What has mankind done to earn air to breathe? Nothing. In fact, if you look at the beginning of Adam and Eve in the garden, we're going to talk more about this next week. Adam and Eve sinned against God. God told them, Do this, they did that. God had every right to destroy them and start over, but he didn't. I'm going to talk more about that next week. Now, I know I like illustrations, so allow me one more this morning. Think for a moment about that pet goldfish we talked about earlier, swimming round and around, making fishy faces at those who are passing by. Who owns the bull? Not the fish. The man owns the bowl, right? Who owns the water? The man owns the water, not the fish. Who owns the food that the fish eats? The man bought it. He owns it. He chooses when he gives it to the fish. So the fish doesn't own it at all. But what has the fish done to earn the bowl, to earn the water, or earn the food? Nothing. Nothing. A fish could never do anything to deserve any of that unless it possibly jumped through flaming hoops out of the top of its bowl. Then I would give it extra treats. But that fish has done nothing to earn, to merit the bowl, the water, anything. Anything that the fish receives is given solely based upon the grace of the man who owns it. In a lot of ways, we are exactly like that goldfish. We exist in a world which we don't control and we don't own. Take a deep breath. That air that you just inhaled, do you own it? Did you create it? How about the breakfast that you had this morning or the lunch that you'll have later? Did you create the soil or the seed that... The food was grown from, or, or did you create the animal from which you received the meat? We must consume this food in this air in order to live, yet we did not, nor would we ever be able to create it from nothing. The psalmist proclaims in Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Just as that goldfish is incapable of earning anything that he receives from his master, so too are we completely and utterly incapable of earning the things that we receive from God. This does not mean, of course, that we are incapable of obeying Him, or pleasing Him, or honoring Him, or glorifying Him. But we must remember that by doing so, we have earned nothing. Just because you're here today doesn't mean that you've earned anything from God. Just because you've been baptized doesn't mean you've earned anything from God. Baptism is the obedience that God desires. Remember at the beginning, the free gift of God given for those who obey Him? Baptism is an act of obedience. It's not something that we do in order to earn anything because we can still never earn it because all of us sitting here have all sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. No matter where we are in terms of our spiritual maturity, we are all still sinners. We are all blemished. We are all still unworthy of God's glory. But yet through grace, we have access to it. All of this is incredibly important to not only understanding God's grace, but understanding the role that it plays in our lives and how it impacts our relationship with God. God is so much higher than us. His glory is so far beyond our comprehension that He could not possibly be indebted to us for anything. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 reveals, "...all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment." We should never think that God owes us something. God owes us anything. Let no one suppose that he has earned anything from the Lord. Let no one even imagine that anything that he has is his own. Because everything you are and everything you have, you have received from the treasure chest that is God's grace. Now that we know what God's grace is, next week we're going to look at why we need that grace. I've kind of pointed to a few of those things already but we're going to dig deeper into god's word and find out why we need god's grace and again this is something that i think is very beneficial to those that you know who are asking questions about the bible that need to know more about faith they need to know more about god and the relationship that is held with him or the church because grace is everything without grace we're nothing if you're here this morning and you haven't been baptized into Christ's death, burial, and resurrection to gain access to God's grace or if you have any other need that the church can assist you with this morning now is the time that you can come forward while we stand and sing.